Thank you for joining us for this week's sermon. Here at Back Creek Church, we are focused on connecting people with the hope of the gospel. With this week's message, here's Pastor Matt Carr. Everybody still in the room? We're going to be in Ruth chapter 2. Ruth chapter 2. So it's pretty close to the beginning of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, and then Ruth. So uh, there should be a Bible close to you in the pew if you don't have a Bible or a device of your own on which to follow along. And if you don't have a copy of God's Word at home, uh, we would encourage you to take home that pew Bible as our gift to you. We'd love for you to have a, a copy of God's Word that you can read and study and refer to. Uh, Ruth chapter 2. We just started a new series in Ruth uh, last week, and the story of Ruth is a story about how God is at work in the lives of ordinary people. How God is at work in the lives of people like you and like me to restore what is broken, to bring rest to the weary, to bring fullness to the empty, to bring hope to the hurting. And this historical account that we are studying shows us that in the grand scheme of all of history and all of creation, as well as in the seemingly small and insignificant details of our lives, the Lord is at work bringing restoration, that He really is making all things new. And most of the time He's doing it in ways that we don't see. And in ways that we couldn't possibly anticipate. In chapter 1 of this story, we saw that Naomi was full of weariness because of circumstances beyond her power. The time in which she lived was a bad time for the people of God. The time of the judges. The place where she lived uh, had a famine. And so it was a, a bad place, at least temporarily, for her to live. The people that she loved most in the world, her husband and her two sons, died and left her grief-stricken, but not only full of grief, but also empty of resources. We also saw that Naomi was full of weariness, not only because of circumstances beyond her power, but also decisions within her power. She and her husband Elimelech, together with their two sons, decided to leave Bethlehem, the house of bread, in the midst of a famine and go to Moab. To a people and to a place that the Lord had commanded his own people to avoid. After Elimelech and her two sons, uh, after Elimelech had died, Naomi allowed her two sons, Malon and Chilion, to marry women who worshipped false gods. And then lastly, we saw that Naomi was full of weariness because of her, her decision to let her heart grow embittered toward the Lord because of her circumstances, and to question his goodness to her. But what we saw is that the circumstances beyond her power and the decisions within her power, that through those, the God of all power was at work in those circumstances and in those decisions to bring rest and restoration to Naomi. And God did it through a very unlikely person. He did it through her Moabite daughter-in-law, Ruth. Ruth, who committed herself to Naomi and, more importantly, to Naomi's God. And we're going to see more of God's signature, God's autograph in the story of Ruth here in Ruth chapter 2. 
And we're going to try to remember our assignment in this series, which is to train ourselves to to look for and to find God's autograph, not only in the story of Ruth, but in our stories as well. So if you're able, please stand in honor of God's word. I'm going to read Ruth chapter 2. Now, Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go out into the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and has continued from early morning until now except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go and glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and your mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants." And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel into the wine. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed to her roasted grain. And she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. And she rose to glean. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. And also pull out some from the bundles for her, and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today, and where have you worked? Blessed is the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you should go go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvests, and she lived with her mother-in-law. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Let's thank the Lord for his word. 
Lord, our God, we thank you for uh, Naomi. We thank you for Ruth. We thank you for Boaz. We thank you for this story, this account. Uh, Lord, we believe it is true. Uh, Lord, and that in it, things are revealed to your people about you uh, that we need to learn. And so, Lord, we pray today that you would help us to believe what your word says, to love what your word says, to apply what your word says to our lives. Lord, that we might see your hand of restoration and redemption in our lives, even as Ruth and Naomi saw it in theirs. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. One of my favorite authors, um, possibly my favorite author, other than the authors of Scripture, C.S. Lewis, uh, said this, We do not merely want to see beauty, though God knows even that is bounty enough. We want something else that we can hardly put into words, to be united with the beauty we see to pass into it, to receive it into ourselves, to bathe in it, to to become part of it. At present, we are outside of the world. We're on the wrong side of the door. We discern the freshness and purity of the morning, but they do not make us fresh and pure. We cannot mingle with the splendors we see. But... All the leaves of the New Testament are rustling with the rumor that it shall not always be so. Someday, God willing, we shall get in. Amen to that. But it's not just the pages of the New Testament that are rustling with this rumor. It's also the pages of the Old Testament and the stories of the saints there like here in Ruth. It's the whole word of God that acknowledges, yes, the world is full of weariness and brokenness. And yet the whole word of God, Old Testament and New Testament, whispers rumors of rest and restoration in the midst of a weary and broken world. And these rumors that we hear on the pages of Scripture are present in this chapter. The autograph of God in these seemingly minor details and chance encounters. Rumors of rest that we should listen for in our own lives as well. That remind us that whatever our circumstances, the Lord is at work making all things new. Rumor number one that we see in this chapter is that we can rest in God's justice. We can rest in God's justice. We see that in verse 2. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go into the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And Naomi said, Go, my daughter. Ruth and Naomi were hungry. As widows, they had no land. They had no resources. They were poor. And Ruth, this chapter reminds us again, was a foreigner. And a foreigner that God had told his people to avoid. She was a Moabite. What were they going to do? What could these two widowed, poor, hungry women, what could they count on? What could they rest in? Well, they could rest in God's justice. See, God, the God of the Bible, the God who is, the God of all creation, the God of all redemption, the one true and living God always does what is right. 
And in a world that has gone completely wrong because of sin, a world full of injustice and loneliness and brokenness, in that world, God has made his people agents of what is right, agents of justice. God says that what is right is that the poor should have provision, that the hungry should have food, that the foreigner should be welcomed. This is God's justice. And so we find in God's commandments provision for who? For the poor. Provision for the hungry. Provision for the sojourner. Leviticus 19, verses 9 and 10. Y'all know Leviticus because it's where our Bible reading plans normally die, right? Because it's, 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 it's law after law after law, but... Honestly, what Leviticus is revealing to us is the splendor and the beauty and the majesty of God's righteousness. And we see his righteousness, his justice on display in his commands. Leviticus 19 verses 9 and 10. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest, and you shall not strip your vineyard bare. Neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. Why? I am the Lord your God. Based on God's character and God always doing what is right, God's justice, he tells his people, you be agents of my justice. And when you gather what I have provided for you, you leave some for the poor for the hungry, for the foreigner. Why? Because I'm your God. That's a good principle for us to observe as well. The justice of God on display in his commands. And Ruth and Naomi could rest in his justice knowing that there was a way for them. Even though they were poor, even though they were hungry, even though Ruth was a foreigner, there was a way for them to get food. Ruth could by law, go into the fields, follow after the harvesters, and gather grain. Now, this didn't fix all of their immediate problems, not even close. But it was a tangible example of God working in their circumstances for what was right. It was a rumor of his justice that whispers about a day when everything will be made right. We need to train ourselves to rest in God's justice by looking and by longing. Looking, we need to look for. And when we find it, we need to rejoice in and praise God for circumstances in which justice prevails. When something is right or something wrong is made right, it is a rumor of God's justice that whispers about the day when all things will be made right. We also need to be active in looking for instances where something is not right, according to the principles that we find in God's word, so that we can be agents of God's justice where injustice is prevailing, with our actions spreading rumors about our God and about his justice in the world, especially on behalf of the poor, especially on behalf of the widow, especially on behalf of the immigrant, especially on behalf of the orphan. We need to look. We also need to long. We need to cultivate a longing in our souls for the justice of God in an unjust 
world. And when we are treated unjustly, we are not to respond with desires of or actions toward vengeance on someone else. Rather, we are to rest in God's justice, knowing that vengeance is the Lord's, that he will repay, but also that he will restore what injustice has taken from us. And we need to acknowledge in our longing that justice may happen to a degree in this life. And when it does, we should rejoice and thank God for it, especially to the degree that he sees fit to make us agents of it. But justice may only happen to a degree in this life. But it's just a rumor of the full and beautiful justice that is to come. Someday, God willing, we shall get in and justice will be done in all of earth and heaven. As Henry Wadsworth Longfellow wrote, The wrong shall fail, the right prevail, for peace on earth, goodwill to men. We can rest in God's justice. Rumor number two, we can rest in God's sovereignty. We can rest in God's sovereignty. Sovereignty just means his rule. God's right to rule over everything that is. We see that in verse 3. So Ruth set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she just happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Naomi's dead husband, Elimelech. It just so happened. In all the grain fields and all the towns and all of the world, she just happened to walk into his. Some of you are laughing because you've watched Casablanca. Thank you for that. The wording here shows us that this wasn't intentional. Ruth didn't know this worthy relative of Naomi's named Boaz. And she didn't have a plan to meet him. Simply resting in God's justice, this poor widowed immigrant went into the fields to glean according to the law, and it just so happened that she came to the part of the field belonging to a worthy man who is part of their extended family, who possibly is someone who is going to change Naomi's and Ruth's fortunes for the better. It just so happened. Except it didn't. This was part of a plan. Not Naomi's plan, not Ruth's plan, not Boaz's plan. This was God's plan. And this Bronze Age meat cute is going to change everything for these three people. And believe it or not, for us as well. Ruth did not know what the Lord was doing by leading her into that particular field, except in his justice providing food for Naomi and for her. But in his sovereignty... The Lord led her to the right time and place and person to begin to provide restoration. The scriptures tell us the heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord orders his steps. And the Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. Jesus says, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them can fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are numbered. Our Westminster Shorter Catechism asks the question, what are God's works of providence? And the answer is this. 
God's works of providence are his most holy, wise, and powerful preserving and governing of all his creatures and all their actions. Our God is the God of all power, and he is sovereign. He rules absolutely over everything, and we, his people, can rest in that. And that's not always easy. Yes, in God's sovereignty, he led Ruth to this field to meet Boaz. But we need to take note that there were hard providences in her life as well. Ruth lost her husband. In order to go with her mother-in-law, she had to leave her father and mother behind, knowing that she would probably never see them again. She had to endure poverty and hunger and life in a foreign land before she came to this field. All along the way, the hard provinces and the pleasant pleasant providences, God was at work bringing restoration to Ruth's story by his sovereign goodness and power. Now you may be in a season in your life of pleasant providences. Praise God. And know that it will not always be so. Rest in his sovereign power and his love for you while you are in the heights so that you will be able to do so also when you are in the depths. You may be in a season of difficult providences. Lament before the Lord and know that it will not always be so. His love for you And his sovereign power are something you can rest in while you are in the depths so that you can do the same when he raises you up to the heights. For most of us, life is a mixed bag of pleasant providences and hard providences. But we can be confident and rest in the truth that nothing just happens. Heidelberg Catechism question and answer number one. What is your only comfort in life and in death? My only comfort in life and in death is that I am not my own, but belong, body and soul, in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head apart, of the, apart from the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together. All things must work together for my salvation. Whatever we are walking through, we can trust and rest in God's love from which there is no separation and his sovereign rule over all things. We can rest in God's justice. We can rest in God's sovereignty. And rumor number three, we can rest in God's kindness. We can rest in God's kindness. Boaz is a man who clearly loves the Lord and is the instrument of God's kindness toward Ruth. After he pronounces the Lord's blessing on his servants, he asks about this woman that he sees gleaning in the fields. And when they tell her who she is and what she has done for her mother-in-law, Naomi, Boaz welcomes her to stay in his field to glean. He says, don't go anywhere else. I just want you to glean in my fields alone. He protects her by telling her to stay close to his female servants and charging his male servants not to touch her. 
He provides for her by allowing her to drink the water that his servants have drawn and giving her access to far more grain than the law requires. He respects her and he honors Ruth for her character, her hard work in the fields, her faithfulness to Naomi, her courage in leaving Moab to come to Bethlehem. He prays for her, asking the Lord to reward Ruth as she has come under his wings to take refuge. He invites Ruth to eat with him and he serves her. And also notice that Ruth, uh, that, that Boaz is a humble man. He's a man who eats right along with his servants. And that Ruth is a humble woman, that she bows down to him and thanks him for showing favor to her. So when Ruth, at the end of the day, heads home with her ephah, anybody know how much that is? I didn't think so. If you look at the footnote uh, in your scriptures, it'll say 22 liters. But see, we're American, so we don't know that either. Uh, So basically, it's supply for about a week and a half. Possibly a two-week supply of grain. And Naomi is very happy, and she asks where Ruth gleaned and pronounces blessing on the man who who took notice of Ruth. Now, why does she pronounce blessing on the man who took notice of Ruth? She doesn't know yet who this was. She does it because it had to be a man. Why? Because only men could own property. Which is why Naomi and Ruth were in such difficult circumstances and such vulnerable positions without their husbands. It's why they were dependent on the Lord's kindness to come to them through a man. And Ruth tells Naomi, the man's name with whom I worked today is Boaz. And Naomi sees and declares the Lord's kindness to them. May Boaz be blessed by the Lord. The Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. See, Naomi, in the last, uh, in the last chapter that we read, um, she says when, when the people of Bethlehem recognize her and come to greet her, they say, yeah, it's Naomi. And she says, don't call me that. That name means pleasant. Sweet. Now you need to call me bitter. Call me Mara. Why? Because the Lord's hand has gone out against me. And he has dealt bitterly with me. And now here, as she has chosen to rest in his justice and in his sovereignty, she now sees his kindness to her. And she declares his kindness and recognizes that God has never forsaken her. Not for a moment. She says, this man is a close relative of ours. He's one of our redeemers. And this brings us back to God's justice. Where he makes provision in his law, in his commands, for childless widows. And he does so by requiring the brother or nearest relative to marry her so that she is cared for and has an heir for the family. You can read about that in Deuteronomy chapter 25. There's also an additional provision In Leviticus 25, it says this, The land shall not be sold in perpetuity. Why? Because the land is mine. That's also a good principle for us to hold on to in God's law. That the things that we have aren't ours. Who do they belong to? They belong to God. It says the land shall not be sold in perpetuity because it belongs to me. For you are strangers and sojourners with me. And in all the country you possess... You shall allow a redemption of the land. 
If your brother becomes poor and sells part of his property, then his nearest redeemer, his nearest relative, shall come and redeem what his brother has sold. This is a provision so that the land could not just be sold to different people after different people and be far gone from the family forever. But no, a nearest relative who has resources can come and redeem the land for the family so that it can remain in perpetuity for that family, even with the loss of the patriarch. God's justice allowed Ruth to glean in the fields of Bethlehem. God's sovereignty led her to the fields that belonged to Boaz. God's kindness now brings hope of restoration to Ruth and Naomi, that Ruth might possibly find rest in the house of a new husband in which their family land would be redeemed, their needs would be met, and their family line would be able to continue. And Ruth realizes what Naomi is saying about Boaz being one of their redeemers. And she says, and besides, he was really kind to me. And he invited me to return. And so she continued to glean in his fields until the end of the barley and wheat harvest. At this point in their story, Naomi and Ruth weren't scheming. They were just trying to survive. They had no idea that any of this would happen, that any of it would unfold this way, but they rested in God's justice and in his sovereignty and in his kindness to provide what they needed. And now there was the possibility of so much more. And I would ask you, are you resting in God's justice, in God's sovereignty, in God's kindness today? Are you listening for the rustling rumors that the world and our lives will not always be full of injustice and brokenness and chaos and sorrow and harm? For some of us, our circumstances, the things that we are walking through, they're making it hard for us to hear the whispers. They're making it hard for us to hear the rumors. And if that's you, Or even if it's not you, there's one place that we can always go to not hear merely a whisper, but a shout of real hope, of real restoration, of real redemption and real rest. The one place that we can always go to hear the shout of hope is the cross of Jesus Christ. And it's at the cross of Jesus that God's justice and God's sovereignty and God's kindness are all equally on full and beautiful display. See, God's justice is on display in the cross because sin, turning away from God and going our own way, rejecting God's word, refusing to believe what he says and choosing instead to do what we think is best. Sin is cosmic treason against the rightful king of the universe. He has the right to all of our allegiance, all of our love, and all of our obedience, and we give him hardly any of it. The Bible tells us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and that the wages of sin is death. Every sin merits nothing less than the death penalty, physically, spiritually, and eternally. And at the cross, what we see is the justice and vengeance of God against all evil for all time poured out. And it's not poured out on the wicked, but on the innocent, on the righteous. It's poured out on Jesus for our sake. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says, God made him who had no sin 
to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. The justice of God against all evil and wickedness and sin. The justice of God that we deserve was instead endured by Jesus on the cross in our place for our sake. As he was our substitute and our shepherd and our savior. Laying down his life for us. God's sovereignty is also seen at the cross. The apostle Peter says in Acts chapter 2. This Jesus, this crucified Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosening the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. This was always God's plan for our restoration, for our redemption, and yet it was worked out through the ages by human decisions and actions, including desperately depraved and wicked decisions. At the cross we see God's justice. And we see God's sovereignty and we see God's kindness. Paul's letter to Titus says this in chapter 3. But when the goodness and the love and the kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. By the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. So that being justified, being made right before God by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. There is one place where we hear the shout of the hope of the gospel. It's the cross of Jesus Christ. And there we see God's justice And we see God's sovereignty. And we see God's kindness to the poor and needy. God's justice not received by the the unjust. Rather, we receive his mercy. God's sovereignty in choosing to crucify Christ rather than to allow us receive the condemnation that our sins deserve. God's kindness to us in making us co-heirs with Christ and raising us up with him and adopting us into his family and giving us eternal life. My brothers and sisters, we need to train ourselves to look for and find God's autograph in our lives. Where do you see his justice at work in your life? Where do you see his sovereignty in every circumstance of your life? And where have you seen God's kindness to you. Start with the cross where the gospel shouts the goodness of God. But then look daily for examples of God's justice and God's kindness and God's sovereignty. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for Ruth and for Naomi and for Boaz. We thank you for how your story plays out in their story. And Lord, I pray that you would take this chapter that we have looked at today and remind us. Lord, remind us in powerful ways that we are not different from them. That, Lord, we also have been the, the recipients, those blessed by your justice and your sovereignty and your kindness. Lord, in bigger and more beautiful and brighter ways than they could have possibly imagined through the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Lord, we thank you for your great love for us. We thank you for your love for Ruth and how you, you showed her such kindness in this story. But Lord, we pray uh, that you would help us as we go out into this week and out into the world. Uh, Lord, that you would make us agents of your justice. Lord, that you would uh, make us emissaries of your sovereignty as we declare your lordship over all creation. And Lord, make us instruments of your kindness. Lord, that we might love our neighbors as ourselves in word and in deed. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for our time together in your word. We pray that you would bless it to our hearts and to our lives. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can find additional sermons and learn more about our ministries by heading to backcreekchurch.org. We'd love to see you in person for our worship service at 1030 on Sunday mornings. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. Thanks for listening.